Hi guys, welcome to my Move and Inspire podcast. My name is Sophie Deer. I'm a yoga teacher, a health and happiness warrior, and like you, I am constantly doing my best to navigate this crazy world that we live in. My mission is to spread the zest that I have for life to each and every one of you and give you the chance to feel empowered, strong, connected, healthy, and above all, happy. I will be interviewing some kick-ass and inspirational people to motivate you to create transformations in order to live your best possible life. Oh, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> this is going to be a slow burner. Let's this, go. I don't even know if we're going to get a word in edgeways because we'll, we'll, we've got to try and do our best not to interrupt. Yeah, that's going to be hard, right? So today I'm interviewing Sarah Harrick, a.k.a. Saz. And Saz is one of my best friends and my barley sister. So Saz and I met working on Spooks about 10 years ago. And we continued to work together for about six years. And we went through a lot of highs and lows in TV, working all over the place on various different shows. And I was always really happy to be on a job with Saz because we always looked out for one another and we laughed like crazy. In March this year, Saz was in Goa having completed her yoga teacher training. And she told me she wanted to visit me in Bali for five days on her way to Australia. Those five days turned into seven months, and we now live together. It's been a bit of a journey, hasn't it, Saz? It has indeed. And to be fair, this has been a long time coming, uh, us having this podcast we've been talking about for a little while. And uh, yeah, it's been a crazy year, coming up to a year since I've been away from home. But it has been a crazy year, and it's been crazy that we are now living together as adults. (laughs) I'm not sure we're adults. (laughs) This is true. Uh, We're still working on that one. Um, But yeah, it's been super crazy. And yeah. It's been a lot of fun though. It's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of laughter and a lot of crying, um, which is super new for me. Um, Apparently Bali makes that happen to you. I don't know how, but it does. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to get into Bali in a little bit, but I suppose um, I want to start by asking you a little bit about um, how you grew up, because you um, grew up as a mixed-race Muslim girl, and you had moments where you really struggled to fit in. So I'd love you to just kind of um, walk us, talk us through that, Saz. Yeah, so <clears throat> so I am, as you've already said, mixed-race. My dad is Moroccan, my mum is Jamaican-English, um, and... I was brought up in um, in a place called Essex, and and I was the only uh, mixed race person in this particular school, and I never really realised um, my skin colour. It would never came up. It was never. I was very fortunate. People generally didn't didn't see me different. But I do remember this one kid had came up to me when I was younger, and had uh, we were playing football. I was very much a tomboy. And he would came up to me and said, oh, uh, you're like hot chocolate. And at that time, I didn't understand. I was like, what does he mean? Is it a negative thing? I was very confused by it all. Um, but never communicated this with my family. We kind of just never really spoke about that sort of stuff. Um, also, to add a bit of a layer to my uh, mixed race, it was also we were, I came from a Muslim family. And I found it very difficult to balance my outside life to my inside life. And when I, what I mean by that, my family life was always very separate to how I would portray myself outside. So I was um, drinking outside. My parents didn't know. I, so I was going out drinking, coming back, and trying to be completely sober. Um, there was many times where I, I'm definitely, I'm sure my mother knew. Um, so I was, there was always, I always had, and I still, I had that until I was really a year, two years ago, to be honest, about this struggle of mixing my outside life and my inside life. To add another layer to, to that, I am also gay. So I also, um, had to hide that from my family but I didn't realize this until I was 26 roughly um and so 
I think one of the toughest things at the moment that I had to deal with, or in fact this this last year, is so my dad doesn't know that I'm gay. Still to this age, he doesn't know. <clears throat> Which a lot of people question. I'm like, how do you deal with that? Doesn't that hurt you? You know, they ask me a lot of questions around it. And I have gone ups and downs with how I feel about it. And I came to the conclusion, and this is a really, really recent thing, is that I had this big thing where I thought telling my dad I was gay and coming out as, as gay to my dad was going to make me happy. And I think what I've come to really realize is that me telling him will not make me happy. That's not, that's not going to make me what I feel as whole, right? Um, and I put inverted commas in that because <clears throat> we are whole as a person, right? So I, that's something I really, really realized. And obviously at some point in the future, I will tell him that I'm gay. Um, but right now in my life, there's no significant person, significant other for me to then take that bridge. But that's kind of rough. I, I've kind of given you a very rough outline of kind of my upbringing, but generally speaking, that's, uh, it's the biggest thing that I've struggled with is being somebody else outside of my family house and something else that my family would want me to be or how I imagine my family want me to be, if that makes sense. Totally. I feel like we've gone in deep pretty quickly. Yeah, so I... Soza. I was just getting, you know what, let's just, let's just get them out of the beginning. Just lay it all on the table. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I remember speaking to you about um, the fact that you hadn't told your dad. And this is something I want to um, uh, speak to you about in general. I think there's going to be loads of layers that we're going to just keep um, intertwining. But I remember asking you about the fact that your dad didn't know. And I'm super, super close to my dad. And my dad, um, I can tell him as much as I would tell my mom. And like, um, we always joke, he's very feminine. And um, yeah, I, I remember thinking that like how that must be so so hard and I asked you about it and you came back with this kind of like oh no it's fine like no problem no stress like all cool whatever and I feel like that is because for so long you've had this separation between your outside life as you call it and your inside life your family life that it's become this norm to be like oh yeah it's fine it's absolutely fine and what this time recently what Bali has given you this time you've realized that actually no it does hurt and it does suck and it is painful and so maybe we can kind of touch on that the the fact that I think we both feel very similarly in the sense that we part these fronts often to be strong or what we see as strong and then actually kind of embracing the fact that things are painful and things are difficult and I think you've definitely had to do that over the past seven months because you've as you kind of said in your introduction um you've cried for the first time in years and years and years I mean I'm a crier so I, like I've cried a lot here as well but that's normal for me I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that yeah I think um with regards to the dad thing um that was how I processed it I didn't I never I never wanted to go in deeper because I know I was really suffering with it. I was really, that's, it triggers me a lot. You know, I can, I can cry quite a lot. So my, my way of dealing with it was, oh no, it's fine. Like it's everything, it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. And that's how I've dealt with most of my adult life is I have not, not dealt with it. I've not dealt with it. I've not dealt with a lot of stuff that I was suffering with so it's only now that I've had to deal with it I've had that turning point in my life where I was forced to, to deal with the stuff otherwise otherwise <clears throat> excuse me I would have yeah it, it could have been a slippery slope further down but um but yeah that's how that's kind of how I how I dealt with it was just by just saying oh no it's it's fine I'll um everything's fine just making it super normal don't want anyone to go and ask questions more like more questions um, so yeah, I sort of brushed it aside for sure. And I think another reason why, like, I wanted to get you on this is um, we agree that we are so similar in so many ways. So that whole thing about putting up a front and being strong and so on, and actually, what we're both realizing massively here is, um, and I think I've like kind of realized it over the past couple of years, and thanks to Brené Brown, but like the fact that to be vulnerable is courageous 
and it's something that you definitely struggle with for sure like um I think I'm I'm I find it easier to wear my heart on my sleeve and I think that you are starting to get better at that yeah it's so scary for me so so scary I don't know excuse me um yeah it's so scary for me to wear my heart on my sleeve to the biggest thing and we've had many discussions on this is talking about my needs I find that so difficult I find it very vulnerable um, to the fact that I feel like maybe they might not be matched ever. Um, So if I, and or, sorry, or if, what's super interesting about all of this is that it's all to do with my mind or how I perceive things. So in my head, if someone asks for, if I ask for something from you, Soph, let's say, can we go for a coffee tomorrow? And in my head, I'm like, that's needy and I don't want to be needy. And it's kind of, so I'm having to completely rewire my brain, um, you know, and, and completely just go question everything. I'm trying to question, which sometimes, <laughs> as you know, so I question too much. <laughs> um, so it's also trying to find that balance, but I'm trying to question everything, all my thoughts process to work out whether it's actually true. Um, so... But yeah, in terms of like, like being this strong person, um, I have always tried to, to do that. And unfortunately, it doesn't last that long. There is, a, there is a time to that, time limit. Yeah. And I think um, we've kind of jumped ahead a little bit. But um, one thing I definitely want to talk about is, is our time in TV together. And I think that part of that, when you are working in TV especially as a woman you have to be like strong and resilient and badass and like you like almost like you don't give a shit what anyone thinks otherwise you are literally just trampled all over because it's a very male dominated industry there's a lot of kind of old school people still working in that industry and so I think both of us like learned that as a tactic in order to literally survive and we were hanging on a thread most days because we were so exhausted from 90 hour weeks six day six days a week sometimes seven days a week um, getting up at 4 a.m not getting home until 9 10 driving so far everything that was asked of us to stand up all day that was like an unwritten rule wasn't it like that we actually had to, as assistant directors in TV, stand up all day. So that's like 16 hours a day, rushing around like lunatics. I yeah, mean, it was nuts. mad. So nuts. <clears throat> it's funny to, to think back at how ridiculous that was, like an unwritten rule, that as an assistant director, if you were sitting down, that was just like, you would get told off potentially by the producers. It was like being at school. It was a very bizarre... It's a, it's a very bizarre industry, but I have to say, I, you know, that we, we talk about it. We've had nights where we've had, you know, we've had a good old chat about um, how we miss it, how we miss the people. And, you know, we're very fortunate that we met each other there. Um, we have some really beautiful friends from that industry. However, it is not, unha- it is not healthy. I, I still, sh- I remember um, the days where we used to have massive scenes. Like I used to, we were on Tower Bridge and there was like, um, you know, we'd locked down the bridge. We had a helicopter shot. We had a big actor walking across the, across the bridge and lots of things going on. And I remember the stress of it. Like even now talking about it, I'm like, I'm like my whole body's like just starting to tense up because it was so much stress. And, and I remember, um, especially on these big days, I remember my breath used to be like, like I used to have to really take in like inhale really deeply and I, I didn't know what that was I, d- I never knew I was stressed I didn't know it was stress I didn't know it was anxiety of like I did not want to fuck up straight I, that's why I, I just had to be I had to be reliable I had to make sure I was thinking ahead I had to make sure that I had everything lined up because that's how that's the pressures that I was putting on myself which generally speaking, I, I'm very much like that. I do like to, I like to be very good at things, but also seen as I'm super calm and nothing bothers me. <laughs> so, um, but that was also part of the job. You know, you could have someone come up to you and going, oh my God, the costume is still back at base. And then you're on the phone to someone who's at unit base, like 
saying the actors are not ready and you're talking on the radio and this is all happening at the same time and it's just you had to keep that cool because if you were not seen as cool you were rubbish at your job you know and that was unfortunately that was the that was part of the job and so you got really used to keeping your shit together but you weren't really you know um and so that all you can go for like six month jobs and however long the job will be and and it is super stressful. And so having that for, I worked there, I can't remember how many years you did actually, but I did 10 years, I think roughly about 10 years. And 10 years of that, and yeah, 10 years of that really did take its toll on my body. And even now I'm, I'm I think coming up to two years being out of the industry and it's still, I would say I'm still reeling and unreeling, sorry, from it. Things like very simple thinking ahead too much, like that's, one of our prime roles as an AD is always thinking ahead. And I think I still do that within my life. I think too far ahead. So, yeah. Just so people understand a little bit, um, being an assistant director on set, you worked freelance. So you worked um, short jobs. I mean, kind of up to a year, maybe like normally uh, longest would be what, like six to eight months, mm. maybe. And... Um, you so you you never had any job security um and you yeah worked on set and we were like the glue that held every single department together so all the departments would come to us but also as a lower um role on set you were expected to answer and have all the answers for all the higher roles because you were again that glue that held everything together so you actually gave me goosebumps when you were starting to talk about it because it just makes me laugh so much the We'd have like a radio in your ear, so you've got an earpiece going on. People, someone shouting at you down the <laughs> earpiece. Then you've got an, you're on another channel with maybe the sparks, the electricians, and that's open. So that's open on your second radio, and then you're on the phone as well in your other ear, and then you've got someone directly speaking to you, and maybe like that's two or three people directly speaking to you, all <laughs> needing different things. So. At one point, you've got seven things going on and you've just got to be super, super cool. And it, it was mad. I remember, yeah. I just remembered a day that we were on Mr. Selfridge down at Chatham Docks in Kent. And we were doing this big suffragette scene. Yeah. Do you remember this? Yeah. And we had like however many extras and we had um, all these old fashioned cars because I can't remember what um, time period we were now in. But um these old-fashioned cars. And do you remember one... It might have actually not been the suffragette story, but one um, time the bus set on <laughs> fire. And, yeah. then, and, and because these productions don't have enough money, we'd be resending all the um, cars back into shots so that it was supposed to look like 10 different cars, but yeah. you're just getting them to do a quick U-turn and they're these really old-fashioned cars. They're breaking down. The bus has got on fire. You've got however many extras that you're continually trying to get in. And then you're also trying to look after the actors and the direct... And it was just madness. But also so much fun. I mean, yeah. do talk about it with a massive smile on my face. And as you said, like, I definitely have some of my bestest friends in the world because you become family in in those, like, crazy, crazy times in that... Yeah, when you're just completely exhausted, but you, you, you keep going, you know? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting, though, as well. And I just thought about this now, is that it's just going back to sort of the unhealthy things as well, is that when you go home, you ha- and I think you might have even said this to me, but you either had the choice to shower or to eat dinner. That is your only choice because you need to sleep and you've only got, you'll get home maybe, let's say, depending on, on, on the day, if it was a big day, maybe 9pm, and then you're getting up at, if you're filming, say if you live in West London, which is what we did, um, and you're filming in East London, you're getting up at 4 a.m. So you were so, it was so important about, even when you got home, is about the timing. It was all, I, when I was in the car, I'm going, okay, I've got 30 minutes. I'll, by the time I get in the shower, that's 30 minutes gone. And then by the time like, I've um, gone upstairs, got changed, that's another 20 minutes. And you're still working out your timings. And, you know, if you had a partner or if you're married, whatever the situation was, it's like you don't get to spend that quality time with that person, you know. It's, it's, a, they're a, it's a completely different world. And, you know, depending if you were with someone who was in the industry, that's, you know, they kind of have the same understanding, but then you could be two nights, two ships of a night. Is that what you say? <laughs> two ships of a night? Ships passing in Pass, the night. There we go. <laughs> it's 
you could be that. So, um, but again, that's that's the other unhealthy thing is is spending that time, quality time with your other half or your family or kids, and not being exhausted is is hard to manage. You know, fortunately, I didn't have any kids, but um, I know sometimes it was a struggle for for my partner at the time. Your partner didn't have kids, though. No, but I mean, yeah, I know that. No, I think. <laughs> I'm getting confused. So, I'm not just mean, like as a as a partner, and not being there. And when you are there, you're super exhausted. Um, that's what I meant. No, I totally get it. Um, yeah, it was all madness. I kind of, it's almost like it was a bit of a blur all those years. How we did it, and how uh, the other thing is also staying away. Like often, you're staying away. You're filming on location. So for me. I actually, my partner was in the industry and he was at one point working like six months in Bristol on pole dark whilst I was in London and he would have to go, I'd see him hardly ever. It was so, so hard. Yes, the same. Um, so yeah, I, we, both of us basically, we can't even imagine what it would have been like to have family, but that was a mm. huge reason I knew I needed to leave. I knew I wanted family and I knew that there was no chance I could have a family and be in that job. And if you actually look at most high up women in as assistant directors in the industry, none of them had um, children. So mm. it's, it's, it's sad. Um, sad and something that hopefully something w that will change. But I mean, I don't really see that anytime soon, unfortunately. Um, yeah. Yeah, lots of... We kept on thinking, like, how, how are we going to change the industry? And I was like, there's no hope. Yeah. I mean, no hope. yeah, not for a media. And, and for me, I, like, I needed to get out for sure. I definitely came at a crossroads. Um, just on, like, the whole TV note, though, let's just quickly run through some of your maddest moments in TV. Maddest moments. There's been a few. Um, it's mainly to do with the actors... Some of them can be a little bit insane. Um, I had, I mean, I've had actors call me the C word um, for no reason at all, basically because, well, because they thought I had done something, which for anyone who knows me is, I'm super chill, generally speaking. <laughs> and uh, that is just a really, I don't know, it's really bizarre. So um, I had that. I also had the legend that is Maggie Smith. What a legend. Um, I did a show called Downton Abbey and I think I was a runner then. So a runner is kind of the lowest, uh, let's say, rank of an assistant director. Um, and I was explaining the shot to her. She was in one of these old, beautiful old cars and uh, the window was down. So I was like, okay, Maggie, so the next setup, the next shot will be through the camera. You're gonna, the car's going to drive through and then you're going to get out of the car. And even before I had finished <laughs> telling her what the shot was, she literally started winding up the window. And I was like, right, well, and I think she's got that. <laughs> it's like she just did what she wanted, but what a legend she is. Um, and I've had uh, another, uh, an American actor. Um, we were in the middle of central London. Obviously, there's going to be loads of people. There's a big hoo-ha. There's cameras on the street. It's a really big setup. So um, everyone wanted to take a photo with this particular actor. And he basically goes to punch someone from the street. And so we had to have literally security for just him. Um, yeah. So things like that was a bit insane. And you're like managing with people's temperaments and, you know, people that quite frankly, have not dealt with a lot of the stuff that they need to deal with. Um, they all uh, need to do yoga, that's yeah. for sure. They all need to see Sophie Deer. Yeah, um, come to me, all these actors. <laughs> I'll reel them in, that's what I should do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they definitely need some yoga and meditation in their life. Um, but yeah, so uh, there was a lot of those sort of moments. And actually, I'm going to tell you that actually one of the best moments that I had is a good friend of ours. Alex Streeter, he was my first AD at the time. And we had a crane shot, and uh, so it's kind of like a long arm that goes, that does big sweeping shots that you see on TV and film. And unfortunately, one of the actors uh, had a drinking problem, and we were doing what we call splits. So we would start at, say, midday and finish at midnight. And he was there for the first part of the shot, so the midday, 
And the next time we saw him was at midnight. It was a very quick shot. All they had to do, two actors walk towards the camera and then up goes the arm of the crane. However, unfortunately, he had been drinking all night and we had to basically manage this guy who was absolutely wasted. You know, it was re he was super, you know, he was obviously super ill at that time. And it's managing that and not having, you know, I had never dealt with anyone at that time in my life that was an alcoholic and I was trying to get him to basically walk towards camera and it was just, in, you know, it was just insane. It was like there was felt like no support, which happens a lot, I feel, as an assistant director in that particular role in TV and film. Um, you just throw in things and you just deal with it, um, which I learned a lot from that. But yeah, it was that was also a very tough time and another, I was very much questioning why I was working in TV and film for sure after that moment in particular. Yeah, the amount of times I would be like, what am I doing? Yeah. I, I um, just a couple of my crazy moments. I, for, on a job, um, we had a particular first assistant director who was known in the industry as being pretty angry and feisty. And um, the lead actress said to me, I'm, I'm going to go and eat now and we were on what's called a continuous working day where basically you're working through lunch and people just eat lunch as and when they can this main actor she was not she just did what she wanted to do so she went and ate and um this first assistant director my boss came up to me and said well wh where's the actor we're ready to shoot on her and I was like oh she's just eating but let me go grab her she lost her shit so badly that she hit me over the head. It's insane. And I was like, what? <laughs> You've actually just hit me. So polite Sophie turned into feisty Sophie. And I was so angry at her. And I was like, do not ever touch me again. And I walked away. And I remember walking away and she came, she followed me. And I was like, look, you really need to give me space. <laughs> and she gave me a crystal thinking that the crystal would help. <laughs> oh, it's I very like, barley. Oh, it's very barley. Very barley. Very my new I life. think she needed that crystal more than you, though. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, crazy stuff. But, uh, again, a lot, of, a lot of fun. I also set my arm on fire in Morocco. The, yes, st the stunt guys had this, like, special gel that they'd bought to set someone else on fire for the actual shot. And they, they had a load of it left over. So... Literally in the pool right next to the bar that we were in the hotel we were staying at, a load of us just set ourselves on fire. <laughs> so random. It's right? like you don't, I mean, you don't have that on a normal job. I have to say, that's why, again, every day was different. And I, for me personally, that's what I loved. We were never, well, I wasn't because I was never, ended up being a second, but I was never at the desk and I was, it was every, there was always another problem that you had to solve and it was super fun and, there was those times, but there were times where I was, I remember, especially on period drama shows where you'd be standing there and there's like, I know, two actors in a room, they're talking about whatever, <laughs> whatever the script writer wrote and you and sit stand there with the director and I'm just like, I just feel like I'm wasting my life in this dark, dingy studio and it's like summer outside or it's winter outside and you don't even get to see the light the whole day. You know, so there's, as anything, there is the ups and downs of it. But unfortunately, for me personally, I think the same for you, is that it just, it played a big part of my, for me anyway, my depression um, later on down the line. And it's really easy to be busy and uh, distract yourself in those jobs and just continue to see on a, on a, on a, a wheel, is what I'm trying to say. On a wheel. On a wheel. Um, so, yeah, so kind of moving on to the fact that we both... I don't know what we'd call it. Um, we were both definitely burnt out. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Physically and mentally. Yeah. For quite a few years, for sure. Yeah. And then, I don't know if you'd call it a, a, a little breakdown. A little spiritual meltdown. awakening. Hashtag well, no, Brené Brown. <laughs> the spiritual <laughs> awakening came after. Yeah. We had, our, we had our lowest of lows to begin with. Yeah, no, yeah, no. It wasn't like I hit rock bottom and then I was like, <laughs> there was the light. <laughs> no, it took a while to get to yeah. that light. <laughs> yeah, this so is true. So I had it, um, I had my moment um, a few years before you. Yeah. And I left the industry in 2015, end of 2015. I got signed off work. 
Uh, it was the best thing that happened to me and I had to start to really focus on my um, mental health because I realised how ill I was and um, my I had had insomnia for years and anxiety for years and I just hadn't dealt with it. Um, so I kind of went through that mm. and then became a yoga teacher. We were still great friends. Um, and then I remember you calling me being like, I need to leave. Mm. And you had your moment. Talk us yeah. through your little... Yeah, it was so funny. I just want to go back on just on you, though. It was really interesting for Soap. And, and she, I honestly, is super brave. Even thinking about it just now, I was like, you were like one of those people that left the industry and did something, you know, did something really good, did something super healthy for themselves. And you, I don't know, you really went for it. And obviously we never, you, you know, we didn't see your really dark times, right? So we didn't see that. But in terms of, you know, you were very inspirational for me and I know for others in the industry, I find you very inspirational. And so thank you, first of all, for that. And then um, I suppose for me, mine was a bit, not strange, but I suppose I knew that this industry, or I rephrase that, sorry, I knew as an assistant director, this wasn't, this is, wasn't what I was meant to be doing, essentially. There wasn't enough creativity for me, and that's something I've really have learned so much in these past couple of years that I need creativity. And it's not just me, it's everyone as a whole, whether the creativity is writing, singing, um, making a chair, whatever it is, it's so important to, for us to have that release. And I just knew, I just I re just remember, I travelled a lot when I was, I was very fortunate, so I got to travel a lot whilst I was working in TV and film, I, that was quite important. I got to meet really beautiful people, really interesting people, and, and another way of living, not living this London life, or the London life, or this city life, or you know, constantly working to pay really high bills. I got to see another side where you didn't have to earn that much, but yet you could still live this really wholesome life, live in the sunshine, which is what I wanted. You know, I wanted to, I wanted that life. So, look at we are, where we are now. Yeah, have to kind of put that in. Hashtag Bali. <laughs> Things do come true. Um, uh, so yeah. So anyway, so I basically had decided that I had my last job in. I think it was November two years ago. Yes, November two years ago was the last job I had, and that was in Lithuania of all places. It was bloody freezing. Um, and this was one of the prime examples. I was like, this industry is so weird. I went out to Lithuania to do a job and I was taking over from another third assistant director. And I got there and the guy who I was taking over from did not know. He was not told and I there was this horrible, horrible fighting, pushing, pulling for this job. And it just got to a point, it was just, it was a really horrible last job. But I'm really thankful for that because it reminded me of like, do not go back. Um, it ended up being a, a lovely job and a really one of the toughest jobs I've done, but it, it was there for a purpose. But so I then had decided that I was going to go to Portugal uh, in, I think it was March, a couple of years ago. Um, and I was meant to move with my ex and my communication skills have got way better these past couple of years. I was not very good at communicating of how I feel, how, what I needed and I was scared, I always was scared to hurt someone else. Um, so I was, I basically didn't communicate to my ex that I basically fell out of love with her. Um, but we were moving to Portugal. And so two weeks before that, I basically have felt the sense of worry was overwhelming. I was so worried I ended up becoming in this spiral and it just turned into depression and every negative thought I could have, I had. And I didn't understand why. I didn't know why I felt, my whole body felt ill. I remember, I remember going to, uh, I remember seeing an ear, nose, throat doctor because one of the symptoms when I worry and stress is I feel very dizzy. I feel super dizzy. It's like, I can't even get up from the sofa. So I went to all these specialists. I went to ear, nose and throat doctor. I went to um, get, got an MRI scan, everything was clear. And I remember this particular doctor said to me, he said something like, 
um, he had done all the tests and he just said to me, are you okay? And I broke down crying. I mean, it kind of is making me well up now, but I just remember him just saying, are you okay? And I just started crying. And he was the most sweetest doctor ever. And he just said to me, you know, it's okay not to be okay. Um, you just look like, it looks like you just need to look after yourself. And he gave me his card and he was like, look, here's my number if you need anything. And it's super, you know, super sweet. And I remember walking out and I was like, there's something wrong with me. There is, there, there, I don't know what it is, but there's something wrong with me. And I was never, my, you know, my parents, I didn't really speak to my parents about this sort of stuff because I was scared. I was scared for them to see that there might be something wrong with me. I had lots of worries at this time. And I called my mum and I, and I called her and I just said, mum, I think I'm depressed. And I didn't really know what that meant, but I just felt there was something wrong. And I remember her saying, come home. So I, I went home. I said to my uh, girlfriend at the time, I said, look, I'm going to have to switch off my phone. I can't, I can't deal with the pressure of just having my phone on. I was that bad. I felt, as I was walking down the street, I felt everyone was looking at me and, and knew that I was depressed because I'd created a stigma over being depressed. Um, and so I, so I went home for a bit. Um, my mum was great, and this I'm so blessed to have such a, a beautiful mum. She really did look after me more than I would ever have thought, and this has made us way closer. And I just remember um, starting to feel slow, slightly better, and she had said to me, um, oh, by the way, uh, I don't want to say her name, but my ex had called her, um, do you want to talk to her? And I just remember, again, breaking down, crying. And, I, and then I just had a realisation. I was like, I need to split up with her. This was like one of the first things I needed to do. That was like one of the biggest things. I needed to break up with her. So uh, I did do that. And yeah, I mean, basically, well, those times are really difficult. I was so scared of everything. I was, I remember calling you and saying, Soph, I feel like I should be going to see friends. I feel like I should be going out. I feel like I should, you know, well, there was lots of shits and I remember you saying, sorry, you don't need to be doing any of this. Like, you don't need to. And it really helped me just sit with, stop rushing through it, like just slowly each day, just take each day at a time. And at that point, it wasn't even each day. It was like each like half an hour, to be fair. And I did a lot of sleeping. I needed to rest a lot. I did a lot of sleeping. Um and a lot of doing nothing, you know, and, and I got myself with a therapist. Um, I needed to, com to communicate. I just, a lot of it, I just had to just get all my feelings out that I was suppressing and worried that no one else was feeling it, which now I know, like, everything I'm feeling, everything I felt, everything, you know, everyone has been, been through it, going through it, going to go through it. And the more you speak, and it's something really interesting during that time, I remember saying to Soph, I was saying to you, Soph, um, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm, going to see, I'm going to see a therapist. And I remember you saying, oh, yeah, I've been seeing a therapist for X amount of time. And I was like, how have I not known this? How do I not know? Like, how? And then, it's, then I started realising, um, and then I started having more serious conversations with people and, and my friends. And I was like, what were we talking about? before my breakdown. We must have been talking about such surface stuff. And like, I was like, how, how have we gone about our lives not talking? And that was so, that was super interesting. I just got more into talking about my feelings and speaking to others and then just realizing I'm not on my own on this, this situation. And, and till this, to this day, sometimes I get those thought patterns where it's like, oh, I'm, just, I'm the only one feeling this way. Um, so I need to continually work on myself. But uh, the other thing I want to mention that really helped me during my really hard times was um, I bought, I don't know how I found it, but anyway, I bought this diary called The Six Minute Diary. And it basically goes like this. So you, as soon as you wake up in the morning, do not look at your phone. Your phone technically, ideally would be off, but you know, it's life. And what you do is write three things that you are grateful for. And I remember at the lowest times, I couldn't think of anything. I was like, what, what have I got to be grateful for? I'm back at home. I'm living at home. I feel, my, I feel like ill. I feel shit, you know? I can't even go outside because I'm scared to go outside that I'm going to faint or, I'm, gonna, or I'm, I'm super dizzy. I just, you know, what have I got 
to be thankful for. And you really have to, re I have to do the, the smallest of things of like, I've got a roof over my head. And I say that's small, it's obviously a really big thing to have that and I'm, I am very fortunate about that. But, you know, um, I've got a roof over my head. I, you know, I am able to walk from one side to the other. You know, it's re you really had to pick the small stuff. Um, and you might not even believe some of it, but you just write it down. Just get it, get it on paper. And then the other thing was five things that will make today great. And again, on the hard times, it was difficult because I was like, what? I don't want to do anything. I just want to sleep and just, you know, curl up and cry. I just couldn't stop crying. This is after 10 years of not really crying at all. Um, just constant crying in the morning, especially in the mornings. So I'd wake up, I'd cry. Um, so, yeah, so five things that, were, that can make today great, and that can be just something like reading a book for 30 minutes or, you know... Um, talking to someone or you know whatever it is and then the, the last one was positive affirmations and to be fair to this day I struggle with positive affirmations as Soph knows um uh, Soph is like the queen bee of affirmations um I remember coming down from our what essentially feels like a mansion in in uh, <laughs> in Bali uh, coming down the stairs and <laughs> her eyes were closed and I just see her so I knew she was meditating and all of a sudden her fist was up in the air <laughs> And I was like, oh, there she is. There's a positive affirmations. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Every morning, got a fist pump. Yeah, it's, uh, I find it funny. I still find, yeah, positive affirmation. I'm working on that, but I know it's super important. So that would be the, the morning routine. And then in the evening, I would do um, uh, three great things that happened today. And uh, also how I'll improve and what good deed you did that day. And the good deed can be really simple, like smiling at someone or whatever it is. Um, but I find it really wraps up your day because what ends up happening in, is that I find life just goes really fast. And if you don't every day just have that wrap up, wrap up of, actually, there's some amazing things that happened today. How can I, you know, I really need to highlight them you know, and it's really, you end up, especially if you've got, a, if you've got such a worrying mind like myself and you end up picking the negative as opposed to the positives and there's so many positives in one day that you have. So those, that's what really helped me get through it. I think it's so cool. I remember when um, you were going through all this and I remember that you were, um, from, from what I can remember, obviously, like I wasn't with you, but you were pretty proactive about stuff. Like, you reached out to me a lot, being like, what can I do? Like, can you give me some help? Because I feel like you didn't really have anyone who you knew had, who had kind of gone no. through it. And also, our, our situation was so similar, leaving TV, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and I just remember you being super proactive, like the journaling, the gratitude, the intentions, affirmations, all of that kind of stuff. And um, it's been so nice because now we're few years on from that mm. and we live this such a different life like if we if we went back five six six years maybe where we used to get boozed up yeah go to rap parties drink way too much because yeah. and also because you're so knackered you just you need the energy of the alcohol yeah yeah um that that was our lives then like not being present we were always and also with the job you had to be so projecting into mm. the future and so stressed, so on and so forth. And now we look at ourselves and the way we talk and we communicate and we have our like little Sunday sit down sessions to yeah. talk about Sounds okay because we live together and we want to make sure that we live in a really um, harmonious, harmonious <laughs> house. We sit down and we try and talk about like what we think each other has done good, what we think um, we could improve on, um, when we speak to each other, we speak in a language trying to use words like, would you like my opinion? So that we're not crossing over boundaries because we're both yeah. doing a boundaries course. Yeah. Uh, you every now and then start to talk about your chakras <laughs> and and using your sage to... Um, clear out the room. Clear there's out the COVID some bad, in your yeah, room. COVID, there's some bad COVID energy in my room. <laughs> <laughs> and just the stuff we end up talking about, like cacao ceremonies... Yeah. You've been to some spiritual healer recently. Yeah. And I'm Moons. like, yeah. We're like, oh, actually, I think there is a full moon there is. going on tonight. Yeah, there is. Yeah, I'm going to one of you. Yeah. I'm actually not tonight. I'm actually uh, 
no, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, but you'll still be drinking cacao in yeah, your exactly. room or something. But it's just so funny to look at how different our lives are and how much we've changed. But, but also, actually, we are the same mm. in that sense that we still... I mean, you make me laugh more than anyone here. You've made me laugh more than most people in general. And yeah. we smile so much. We are silly and ridiculous and we still have that energy that we had from TV. We're just in a much healthier environment. We actually yeah. talk about our feelings yeah. and we process things. Sometimes we overanalyze things a little bit. Um, trying to be like the best version still of ourselves that we can be. Sometimes we take that to the extreme, right? But it's just really interesting to see what a shift we've made. Yeah, for sure. And it's just like, this is like another chapter for us, I think, Bali. Bali's like a, another chapter in a book that we're, you know, very fortunate to have travelled along with each other, uh, each other with, each other with. Um, and I'm really excited about the next chapter for us as well, you know. And it, yeah, it's been such a journey, even just in Bali. Like Bali time seems like super long like one day can feel like a week and it's just yeah it's really bizarre here really bizarre and I think also it's a little bit about that giving when you when you stop being crazy crazy busy and you give yourself that stillness and that space and it just allows for the shit and everything to come up and for you to be able to process stuff and to also work out who you truly are so both of us were like putting up these fronts often in tv of being super strong and so on and actually we're both crazy sensitive yeah um we both actually enjoy being vulnerable and Mm. sharing and having that um very we have a very intense connection (laughs) in says we're we are more like sisters than than um friends and Whereas before, definitely you wouldn't wouldn't have necessarily let anyone in. No. And like, so this this space and time in Bali has just given you so much. Please quote from Moana. Oh uh, yeah. So Moana, which is our fa- the most favorite film ever, um, she there's a song and it says, um, and in the song the lyric goes, "The island gives us what we need," and literally that is what Bali's like. It's like you're forced to deal with your shit. Like, you think, oh, let me run away from this. Oh, no, no, there'll be someone around the corner to hand you another piece of shit (laughs) that you have not dealt with. Um, Another stick of sage. Yeah, even if you... even a crystal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, It's, yeah, it's just one of these places where, like you said, it's the whole time thing. And I just want to touch back about, like, knowing who you are really... um, and like who we were back back in TV and film days, it's so interesting because I am completely the opposite of who I thought I was. I have uh, have always been a very bubbly person. I say always been. Um, I am quite loud, generally speaking. But if you get to know me properly, which I find, which I'm learning to allow more people in and trust more people, and I'm still going through that process um, at the moment. I'm super insecure about stuff and I worry about a lot of stuff and um, yeah, there's, there's so many like insecurities I have and I'm, I'm actually quite quiet at times, <laughs> at times when I need to be, um, you know, and I like to read and it's like there's the completely other side of me that I think that I never, I just ignored and because that was working for me at the time. So I just ran with that. You know, and then I was putting these layers on like an onion. I was just like one layer after another just um, to, to hide who I really was because I, I think I thought that wasn't going to get me anywhere in life, you know. So You saw it as weakness as well. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, that's what I was saying about earlier about having to rewire everything. You know, crying I saw as, I saw as a weakness um, or like even a manipulation. Like there's a, there's a lot of really interesting... I mean, it's quite interesting for me because I'm like... It's interesting how I'm, how I used to think, or how, you know, my immediate thing is to think, oh, that person's crying because they're weak, or I'm crying, I can't cry because it's weak, or, you know, I should always be happy, and it's like that's not life, and yeah, it's just being okay with that. That's the biggest thing. It's okay. It's all okay, Sas. It's all gonna be okay, guys. <laughs> Especially in Bali. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I mean, me and you can chat for 
years and years. Yes. What I would love to ask you a little bit about is um, what are you up to now, Saz? Because you came here um, having had a little bit of a party time in Goa. Yes. Brought that party energy to <laughs> Bali. Well, I was only meant to be here for five days, so, you know. <laughs> yeah, we needed to get those celebrations in. Yeah. And then um, you weren't working. Yeah. You were trying to figure out what you were going to do. You were working on your script, actually. Yes. Um, and then you hit a bit of a tricky patch when we were kind of in, like, barley terms of lockdown, which yeah. was very semi-lockdown. And you turned to painting yes uh yeah it was super interesting how that happened actually yeah I had a bit of a rough time I I had met someone who basically triggered me a little bit in the sense of there was stuff again like I said uh, the island gives you what what you need but it triggered some stuff that I hadn't dealt with um that happened in England and so I had turned back to being creative and um, painting and I basically ended <laughs> it's a funny one but I ended up um, painting boobies um, and ended up giving them as, as as cards so like they're greeting cards essentially and you were very supportive and you were like oh why don't you make them as a, as a business and I was like no no one's going to want these um, and so of course I ignored you at first because I was like what, someone telling me what to do no thank you <laughs> I'm going to do the complete opposite do nothing <laughs> uh, and then I got off my high horse slash my ego was uh, was uh, suppressed a bit and um, and yeah so I ended up uh, making these cards and making uh, a website but before that had happened though I remember so Bali's a great place for connections People got more free time. People got time to help. Uh, people want to do new things, want to be more creative. So I was fortunate to put a post up on Facebook just saying, does anyone want to photo, have a photo topless and holding my greeting cards? And I had so many people reply. It was amazing. Um, and so I'd go to these people's houses, these female, females' houses, and every one of them had a story, as always, someone, everyone has stories. But it was really interesting because as soon as you had this intimacy of someone taking off their T-shirt, the connection of the two people were just super quick and people were just very open to telling stories, which is something I've learned about myself as well, uh, is that for some reason people really do love to tell me their story, which is great for me. And I love hearing people's stories. I just, I think it's great. Um... So I ended up making an Instagram, which is called at Blank Design Cards. Um, little plug. <laughs> well, a little plug there. <laughs> Sorry, say it again, Sam. <laughs> at Blank Design Cards. <laughs> You'll find us there. Um, and it's really beautiful because you get to read all these women's stories about just shit that's gone on in their lives and how they're dealing with it and whether they're dealing with it or not. Or um, funny stories about women who got their nipples pierced and... You know, it's just fun whilst also just, again, it's about communicating. And that's what I've learned that's super important, important in my life, communication with people. Um, and that is the point of the cards is to be like, we're all feeling the same shit. Talk about it. It will feel so much more better, more normalized. And the cards are essentially the mascot to this project. And, um, yeah, and I love writing cards. It's one of my favorite. I think I wrote you one when I was having my breakdown to say thank you. I love cards. So uh, it means way more than a, than a message, text message. So that's kind of that project. And then I'm also writing a script about my life, which is a dark comedy. It's quite funny, I think. <laughs> <laughs> the cards are super cool because it's so interesting how, like, what started off as, like, you trying to... Um, I don't know, I suppose release some um, uh, emotions when you were feeling a little bit depressed and anxious. Um, then that turns into um, the cards, which then turn into or this, this connection with all yeah. these incredible women. And what I love about it is like there's nothing more uniting really than women talking about the issues that they've had with their bodies as well. I love it, yeah. Um, and I just remember you being, when you were first coming back from these people's houses being so 
um, inspired by everyone you were meeting. So what's gone from like a you doing some painting has come, turned into this incredible passion project to the point the other day I had to like help Saz a little bit because she was like, <laughs> I'm going to get a drone. I'm going to film this and I'm going to film that. And I was like, Saz, have you sold any of your cards yet? <laughs> Should we go back to... Um... The reason, you know, there is still a reason of, of you know, you have to make a bit of money here, Sarah. Passion project or not. Um, yeah, I got a bit excited. I was like having... I basically created a music video in my head. Um <laughs> I, I, yeah, I was going to lock down some roads in Bali and then we all walked towards the sea and it got very dramatic. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, 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 I was. I get super pumped by these women's stories and I just love talking to people and hearing, yeah, hearing what they have to say and their struggles in their lives and how they've overcome it and, the, and just recognising the similarities and Generally, the you know we've got really small amount of fears. All of us got very similar fears, male or female, to be fair. But uh, when it comes to the body, it's a bit, I suppose it's a little bit different. But um, but yeah, it's just um, we we just need to speak more. That is key to life. Goes back to what you were saying earlier about how like you didn't know about my therapy, and then when mm. you found out other people were doing therapy, you were like, what What have we all been talking about? Yeah, yeah communication is key, and it's what's helped mine and your friendship, which is just. Yeah. The most beautiful and special, special thing for me. If I can think of, like, the best, probably the best thing that's happened to me in Bali is our friendship. Like, yeah. how it's grown in this just amazingly beautiful way. And one thing I, I really love, and I, I hope you'll agree. Once uh, I was listening to this podcast that said, it was talking about how you can measure happiness. And one of the, the measurements is count how many times you laugh and smile mm. in a 24-hour period yeah and we were I was talking to you about it saying I could not even try and count that because we laugh and yeah. smile non-stop yeah I mean most of it comes from taking the piss out of each other yes but. there's a lot of ripping ripping each other but it's funny though but even like we've also had a very tough time at the moment like that, that previously and like even friendship relationships like you go through these like um, ups and downs and like again it's just continuously communicating and it's just something that's such a new world to me which I'm very fortunate that you um, have helped coax it out of me as well it's just to say what you say what you feel and try and say it at the, at the moment which I'm getting way better at because it would I'd, I'd be a month later and I'd be like you so you know a month ago um, at 9.21 a.m. you said to me that you didn't like X, Y, and Z. And I'd, I'd created a story and held all this, you know, resentment, not resentment, but, you know, held this, like, anguish of, how am I going to say how I feel? Because if I tell her, then then it shows that I really care. And it's like, you know, so it was just all these things that I needed to really shed and and I'm still doing it massively. But um, So am I, massively. Yeah. We're all working on our shiz. Yeah. And uh, it's exactly like the Brené Brown stuff, like... The story I'm telling myself mm. is, and there's been a, a few times because in general I would say that you overanalyze stuff more than me and I um, definitely used to do that, but I'm just a little bit, um, I find it a bit easier now to kind of uh, not think too much about, I don't know, a moment or whatever. Mm. And there's been a couple of times where you've come to me and you've said, I'm re I, I want to say again, I'm really sorry for this. And I'm like, for what? what? <laughs> yeah, when? Are you, are you still talking about that? <laughs> yeah. That was like a month yeah, ago. Yeah. But now that month has gone down to like a day ago. Yeah, and yeah. It's like so, so nice because it means that you haven't created that story for... Yeah. And we talk about this, that we create these stories in our heads that means that we are not actually living in reality. Yeah. We are just living in a projection of reality. Yes. Of what I'm thinking that you're thinking about me. It's, it's just crazy. It's ridiculous. And it, life could be so easy. It could be so easy. And we make it so difficult for ourselves. And you just get, and you do get to a point where you're like, right, something needs to change there. And I just, sorry, I just want to go back to um, talking about therapy because um, I was doing therapy in London um, and then I stopped that. And then I came to Bali. Oh, sorry, I was in Goa. Like you said, and I was drinking a lot. I had to have that time. I think... I just needed that release, maybe. Anyway, I came to Bali, and I, I remember saying to Soph, and I, I've got a gym membership here, paying a lot of money for a gym membership, and uh, and I remember saying, I just don't, I can't afford, I can't afford um, going to therapy. And I remember you saying, like, 
um, you, what did you say? <laughs> what was that? I remember what? you saying such I don't remember. What was that nugget of wisdom? <laughs> yeah, what I was that nugget? So, yeah. so well. That basically you, you can afford what you prioritize. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> and for you at that moment, you were like, oh, it's not a priority. Mm. And then effectively I kind of became a little bit of a therapist mm. for you which is which feeds into my codependency needs of like wanting to fix you and look yeah. after you and um and so on and what uh like has happened more recently we've realized that that's not healthy yeah. and that you do need a therapist and, yeah totally and you've got one now yeah got one I was like that's it gotta do it and you're loving it yeah she's great Spanish woman she sounds hilarious. She is so funny. She's she sounds so great that I was like, maybe I should get her. And this is coming from the girl who's got, who's got ten hundred and like ten thousand other, other mentors. <laughs> How many can I surround myself with? Yeah. Listen, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. Give me more therapists. Love that. <laughs> so um, I guess the only other thing I want to just ask you, because when I mentioned this to you earlier, I thought you had some really beautiful things to say. So many people come to me and be like, how did you change career? It's so scary, blah, blah, blah. You know, there's so much that hold people back from that. And finance is, is a huge one for yeah. sure. But like, what would you say? Because I, I have to say, Saz is not, is not rolling in the cash oh, right now. Oh, no, definitely you not rolling. The, how do, what do you there's say no, there? you see me rolling over here, guys. <laughs> None of that. No. But um, so, I, yeah, just what would you say to people who are struggling and who would like to change career? What would be your Guru Saz words of wisdom? Guru Saz. Um, there's, a, there's a great book that I read called Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert, who is the legend that wrote Eat, Pray, Love. And she talks about creativity in this book. And one of the things she says is she's like, she write, there's two things. She writes, um, she writes a story and it goes a bit like this. She goes, fear, I know you are here to protect me, but you're going to sit in the back seat and I'm going to drive and you're not going to touch the steering wheel ever. I know that you're here to protect me, but I am going to take the steering wheel. We're going to go for a journey and we're going to go together. And I just find that really beautiful. I mean, it, it goes on for, for more, but it's just basically accepting that you're going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be flipping scary. It's so scary to, to go into something, the unknown. And I think you had a beautiful quote on your, um, I think it was by Rumi uh, the other day about not knowing the, that the other side, is that right, Sophie? Go on, Yeah, Sophie. so like, it's basically saying that even if your life is turning upside down, um, uh, it's basically like saying, <laughs> "Oh, what is it?" Oh, like, oh, it's, it's like, like pause, please, <laughs> listeners. I wanted to sound super eloquent, like I I remembered all of it. To be fair, I did put you on the spot there. You, you have a little bit. She's gonna get it. She's pulling it up. We're nearly there, guys. We're nearly there. Here we go. Try not to resist the changes that come your way. Instead, let life live through you, and do not worry that your life is turning upside down. How do you know that the side you are used to is better than the one to come? Yeah, that's a big one. I think that's a that's a real big one. And it's so, I, I, I can't tell you how much I fear things like that. I'm so fearful of stuff like that. <clears throat> but honestly, you first of all, you'll be able to deal with what happens, whatever it is. If you've got lack of money, like honestly, I have zero money. I can't even tell you how much zero money I have. <laughs> um but I'm just still plodding on. I'm still going forward. I'm like, you know, I have weeks where I just feel like I don't really want to work because nothing's happening. It's all very stagnant. But you're meant to have those times. Um, and there's just something else I wanted to say with regards to the big magic book as well um, that she suggests that you do is it's almost like writing a letter from your headmaster or your headmistress. And the headmistress is you. But it's just saying in that letter going, I am allowing you to take this adventure. I'm allowing you to do something that's different. I'm allowing you, and it's just to, it's just to reiterate that you are in, you are in control, and it's like almost a, allowing yourself to follow what you feel is right. Like I knew the bottom of my heart, I knew working in TV and film was not right for me. I wasn't getting, I was not getting what I needed from it. Um, and if you have that feeling of like, why am I still in this job? What, why am I still here? What am I doing? 
I'm scared of, write, write down those fears and you, you'll see that there's not going to be more than five. I promise you, there will not be more than five. So yeah, get journaling, get writing, but, and just do it. Unfortunately, it's one of these things that the only way you're going to do it is by doing it, making that step. Um, obviously, I was very fortunate I don't have kids. So I know it's a very different story if, you, if you're listening and you have kids um, or if you have a big family to look after. But you can do it, guys. There we go. There's the inspirational speech from Saz. Who knew it? Who knew it? Guru, Guru Saz in Bali. <laughs> <laughs> what have we become? Well, I'm not sure, mate. <laughs> How Hi. are we doing a podcast on like health and Pod- happiness and well-being? <laughs> we used to eat chips. Eat uh, chips. Used to have dessert, apple crumble always. Although I do miss that. Apple crumble. Um, what else do we have? Afternoon tea and sandwiches. Oh, always tuna sandwich. Actually, I do miss a tuna sandwich, I'm not going to lie. Out here in Bali. Oh. Cup of tea. Cup of tea. Should we go have a cup of tea? Oh, my God, yes. And just continue this conversation, because basically this podcast <laughs> is just a... Just a normal breakfast time. Conversation. Yeah. Breakfast time or, or late evening with a glass of wine. Yeah. Oh, and then it goes into which actually I was going. This is going to be my um, my outro to the podcast. So just imagine I've had a glass of wine. Yeah. Though I don't need a glass of wine for this. You probably do, but I don't. <laughs> Saz, I love you to bits. You're one of my best friends in the world. You really have become a sister to me. I don't know what Bali would be like without you. And I'm so chuffed that we finally managed to do this podcast. Because very typical me and you would be would be like, should we do it next week? What about next week? Yeah, always the week after. Yeah, it's fine. We'll, then, we'll sort it out. And then you texted me yesterday going, should we actually chat about what we're going to chat about tomorrow? And I was like, oh, yeah, we probably we should. We should probably do that. We should probably have a little chat. So about an hour ago, we sat down with a with a green juice. Yeah. And we were like, let's talk about these things. I hope this has been um, fun for people to listen to, a bit of an eye-opener about the world of TV. I hope that um, Guru Saz has inspired you all. Yes. Um, you inspired me, Sazzle. You inspired me, Soph. You know that. Lots of love. I love you. She's the most inspirational woman I know. She really is. And she's there to support. And I've learned a lot from you. And I still am learning a lot from you. And I love that you are in my life. Ditto. Hands in prayer. <laughs> Namaste. <laughs> from I Bali. Say, I don't say that anymore. Oh, yeah. Love you, Saz. Love you. <laughs> Thanks so much to you guys for listening to my Move and Inspire podcast. Stay tuned for more interviews with some incredible people in wellness. Let's aim together to find our inner strength and to keep searching for what it is that sets our souls on fire.